0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, November 7th, 2018. It's actually 2.46 a.m. Eastern. Welcome back to the Island College basketball podcast I got Matt Norlander here with me and we both just gotten back to our hotels in Indianapolis after the Champions Classic if you listen to the previous podcast that we recorded on Sunday we told you that we would probably talk to you again on Wednesday and I guess technically that will lie because it is Wednesday but the truth is uh, we didn't plan on talking to you until at least Wednesday night because we're both traveling tomorrow but our schedules were so screwed up and Uh, The truth is, like this Champions Classic was was pretty amazing and unbelievable, but we felt like if we could keep our eyes open, uh, we should try to go ahead and record one tonight so that it would be uh, there for everybody who wants it first thing Wednesday morning. Uh, Full disclosure, we did not bring our podcasting equipment with us, like our mixing boards and whatever else we have, because we didn't plan to podcast from on the road. So we are using... Um, inferior equipment, and if it sounds different, that is why. Uh, we apologize if it's not up to the standards, but either way, uh, give us a break. We're recording a podcast at two forty-seven in the morning. Norlander, are you sleepy?
1: Yeah, I, I, I am Parrish But uh, we got to do what we got to do for the listeners here, and frankly this is warranting of a discussion even at this hour this might be the record now we have done, we have done podcasts in the past that have definitely crept past the 2am mark but i don't know if we've ever actually recorded one we're going to we're going to just fly past the 3am threshold here so we might be setting a record we do it for you the listeners and uh i'm getting there a little bit sleepy but i tell you you know, we're going to focus entirely on this podcast on what happened at the Champions Classic and then our third episode later in the week. If there's anything else that's left over that we need, we need to get to, we will. But for the purpose of, of getting this one done, we'll focus on those four teams. And Duke is the big, big story here. Um, and it's not lost on me, Parrish, that on the previous pod, I said the most shocking outcome to me, conceivable, at this Champions Classic would be Duke beating Kentucky convincingly by double digits it went five times beyond that. It was uh extremely impressive and, and as we dive into this parish, what was I guess particularly impressive about this was like on the whole, Duke was so very very good, and r. j. Barrett set the freshman record for Duke for most points in a game in a debut with thirty three But I still feel like we're going to get way better versions individually of Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones. Like, collectively, they looked great. But this wasn't even um, a, a complete unveiling of how awesome these players can be. And I know Zion had his moments and R.J. had his moments. But that's what made it even more impressive to me, Parrish, is that Duke was awesome. But this was not like, oh, my God, Zion Williamson had seven unbelievable plays. He had, like, two or three really, really good ones. And that's why you have to step back and say, okay, what Duke did here, collectively, is among the most impressive season debuts, I think, for any team in history. Because, frankly, we just haven't had a lot of big-time programs start their season against a fellow top-five school.
0: So the final score is... Duke 118, Kentucky 84. It is definitely the worst loss of John Calipari's career at Kentucky. And uh, I haven't researched it completely, but I went through his first two years at UMass and could not find a 34-point loss. I found some 30-plus, I think maybe a Penn State loss by 33, but I couldn't find anything 34 or worse. It's possible that you know later on at UMass or at Memphis, um, he, he took a worse one. But um, either way, a pretty, pretty surprising and and somewhat humiliating uh, defeat for uh, Kentucky's Hall of Fame coach. Clearly, um, on the last podcast, we both picked Kentucky. I had Kentucky ranked number one uh, in the CBS Sports Top Twenty Five. And one, rest assured, it will not be that way uh, when you wake up on, on Wednesday morning. But you know, when we were standing in the media room in between the Kansas Michigan State game and the kentucky duke game uh it was me you and i think uh, our buddy Cal tucker who's been covering uh, kentucky for a long long time and I, I said some version of of this i said no matter which way this goes no matter which team you picked if you end up picking it incorrectly you'll go well uh, of course i should have seen that comment i don't know why i didn't and the point i made was if you pick duke and then Kentucky goes and beats Duke. You, you, at some point you would go, well, of, of, of course I got this wrong. Why, why did I pick a team starting for freshmen against a team that brought back uh, two important pieces, added a graduate transfer? Teams that rely so heavily on freshmen almost always struggle at, at, at some point and especially early. So why didn't I go with the more experienced uh, team on opening night of the season? God, I'm an idiot. And then I said, but but if you picked Kentucky and and Duke beats Kentucky, you will end up saying exactly what I am now saying, which is, why didn't I see this coming? I mean, Duke, you know, had, had that Duke enrolled four top 15 freshmen, three of whom are considered by some to be the number one, number two, and number three freshmen in the country. Like, yeah, teams that – rely so heavily on freshmen, tend to struggle. That's true. But this is a different deal because in all of John Calipari's great classes at Kentucky, he never had three dudes like this. He's had two dudes like this, but never three, like R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, and Cam Reddish. Again, three players who are projected to be, by Jonathan Govoni at ESPN, top five picks in the 2019 NBA draft. No school has ever put three players in the top five of the same NBA draft and yet Duke has a very real shot to do it and so why would I think they're gonna lose I mean my god they've got a they've got a freshman class unlike any freshman class we've ever seen and I thought they were just gonna go lose their opener what an idiot it didn't matter which way you picked it if you got it wrong you were gonna feel dumb but you could not have gotten it more wrong than we did
1: <laughs> badly wrong but no one perished no one saw it coming to this level I mean Duke hasn't put up that yeah. many points in the Ken Palm era Calipari's never lost that bad, maybe ever, definitely never at Kentucky. There were many, many times, I, I would venture to say on 50% of the possessions when you watch that game, where most of Kentucky's players looked like they had zero business being on the same floor as Barrett and Zion in particular. It was it was astounding, particularly because of this. And I spoke a little bit with Zion in the locker room afterward about The expectation and hype for him, obviously, but with that Duke class, it would have been entirely reasonable if two of the four or three of the four guys there were just okay, even if Duke won, but there was really only, like, only RJ stepped up, had a 33.9, and the other guys were good, not great. Like, that would have been completely reasonable. Instead, Zion Williamson in particular, steps into this game with... As much expectation around him as really almost any other prospect we've seen over the past decade in college basketball, and he absolutely lives up to it. I mean, that one play where he one hand swat grabs it, takes the ball on the break, leads it, threads the needle on an angled bounce pass through the Kentucky defense to get to RJ Barrett, who then scores, and it might have even been an and one. It was it was the it was the encapsulation of. How ridiculous this was for Duke on this very night, these guys stepped in, did not look anything like they had never played a college game before, a division one game, and they do it against the number two team and by the way it's a it's a Kentucky team that's got the number two class and frankly, like Keldon Johnson had a solid night overall. Tyler Hero had his issues defensively, and maybe he grows and gets a little bit better, but it was it was stark and stunning and you know, you and I were in the the post game press conference for Cal. Like one, it was late, but like you could see it on his face. Like it, you just, you know what? You, you get your ass completely kicked. You, you you watch the tape and you move on, and they will. But this was, I, I just, I couldn't believe as as it just continued to go. They hit a, Paris. They read 100 points with more than seven minutes remaining in the game, and and the game was over. Essentially at halftime, but even if you wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt and say maybe Kentucky will pull off a miracle rally, like you knew within two minutes of the second half starting that this wasn't going to happen. So now Duke, like it's immediately in the conversation, if not vaulted to the number one spot in the polls. Like it's, and I don't know if you're going to put Duke number one or not, and you can explain that if you if you so choose in the podcast. But it's rare where we have the number one team lose its grip on the poll, but in my opinion Duke was so damn good that you know what we might need to just recalibrate from what we thought was coming in heading into the season and if you want to say Duke is the number one team you really can't argue much against that whatsoever given what they did on Tuesday night
0: I, I will say this I have long had a rule with the top 25 and one that I I do not drop a number one team unless it loses um I would consider doing it here. The good news is that I don't have to because remember, I never had Kansas number one. I've got Kentucky number one. So it's very easy for me. I've got, at this moment, Kentucky one, Kansas two, Duke three. I will just leapfrog Duke over Kansas, keep Kansas right where it's at, and I'll have Duke number one, Kansas number two, and then what i got to figure out is how far I I drop Kentucky. But I, I will say that my rule of never dropping and let's say I had Kansas number one and listen, Kansas went out and beat a top 10 team. We'll get to that in a minute. But my rule of never dropping a number one, unless it loses would be in real jeopardy because I don't know how you can watch Duke do what it did and not go, my God, that's the best team in the country. I mean, 118 points against Eastern Kentucky is incredible at the, get a 40 minute basketball game. You go put 118 on the Kentucky Wildcats, the second-ranked Kentucky Wildcats with a Hall of Fame coach. R.J. Barrett gets 33 points, 6 assists, and 4 rebounds. Zion Williamson gets 28 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists. Cam Reddish gets 22 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists. And I thought you just you described the Zion play where he strip blocks and starts it up the court. Um you know, K afterward, one of the points he made about that freshman group, you know, that lineup, which is basically the starting lineup of RJ, Zion, Cam, Trey with Marquise Bolden, he said, when we defensive rebound, we've got four guys who can bring it up the court, four guys who can make plays. Like, I, I think everybody knows Trey could do it. That's his job. And RJ could do it because he he's, he's great with the ball. But, but Cam Reddish can also bring the ball up the court and make a play. Zion can also bring the ball up the court and make a play. You know, Kay said we don't have structured um, transition offense. It's just like, hey, we got four uniquely gifted dudes, at least three uniquely gifted dudes. You guys just go. Be uniquely gifted. And, you know, he uh, – you know, I, I said this on CBS Sports HQ from Bankers Life Fieldhouse after the game when I, I did about six or seven minutes with them – um, sometimes after something like this, a coach will very quickly try to say, "Hey, listen, that that will never happen again." And Kay did say, "Listen, K- Kentucky's going to be better than that. They are better than that. They'll play better, and we won't play as well." But Kay didn't really try to say, "This is not who we are." Like he, I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear what what you heard from him, like reading between the lines. But the vibe I got was. Oh yeah, I got I got something special here, and you know we might not go out and win every game by 34, but we're gonna we're gonna do this to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, two notes on that, Parish. So at the press conference, I asked Zion about the play, and as I did, he he cracked like a, a huge smile because he knew, like I think that's the like you know if he was sitting down being honest with us, that was the one play where like he knew that's where he he showed why he will be in. in the discussion for the number one overall pick. And and I wrote this in my column, like I'm not comparing one to the other, but that was LeBron James-like. Like Like, you can't deny it. One-handed SWAT with authority, handling the ball up the floor, dropping a 45 degree angle dime to your your lead guy in traffic. Like it was just, it was fantastic. It's the kind of thing that we've seen LeBron James do. And frankly, guys the size of Zion Williamson, there's almost no one who's capable of doing that. Um, But as I was asking Zion about that, and if, I basically set up the question like this, you know, in that moment and given the lead you had, were you able to play free and loose and just so naturally? And then K, frankly, K cut off Zion from answering, which I would have liked to have gotten Zion's answer, but Kay basically was like, no, that's just who he is. He always plays free and loose. And that's, a, that's an encouraging sign as a viewer and as a fan. And even if you're listening to this podcast and you've always hated Duke for whatever reason... I think you're going to find it a little bit challenging to hate Duke on the same sort of level because RJ and Zion in particular, to watch them play is a lot of fun. And if they're going to have that much autonomy, it potentially will have a a little bit of a backfire here and there. We'll wait and see. But for them to be that preternaturally gifted about doing these things on a basketball court and if if Kay is just going to really be that lax with it, and I say lax as as an endearing term, that's really, really inspiring. Now, the other part of this parish is this. Then I asked Roeschewski a few minutes later. I said, "You put up 118. You knew this team coming into the season. It was granted you were going against the second-ranked Kentucky team, but like, is this going to be commonplace? Or, or should we expect you to be cracking the hundred-point mark with some regularity throughout the season?" And he said, "Listen, it you know it takes two teams to get to 100, which is frankly true. I mean, Duke's never going to put up 100 on Virginia or anything like that. But I do think that this." has a good chance of becoming a storyline and that not just that Duke is awesome to watch and they're really fun, but there's just something about like, if you know that more nights than not, you, you know, RJ might go for 30 plus Zion's going to have three to five, just awesome highlight worthy moments. And Oh, by the way, Duke's going to hit that magical number of a hundred, which was so, so rare in college basketball as recently as three, four years ago before they changed the rules. Then yeah, that adds a certain element to it. When triple digits are on the table, we could very quickly get to a point where Duke will just be must-see for that alone. Even if they're playing a bad team, you want to see how badly they beat them by. And it's why Duke is the anti-Alabama parish. Because Alabama, for as good as it is in college football, in my opinion, Tua makes them different because there's an entertaining value there. But so much of what Bama has been, it's it's machine-like. It's not exactly all that fun because the games end early. With Duke, it might be so entertaining. You just want to see them impale opponents by 50 or 60 points, and obviously the potential for that is now there.
0: Yeah, yeah. the point K made um, was we want to play high-possession games. We got to play one tonight. That's why we got to 118, but not everybody's going to let them do that. You know, Some teams are going to hold the ball. Some teams are going to – I mean, there's a lot of ways to limit – possessions but ultimately i mean they look like a monster tonight and um they're gonna have some more games i don't know about hitting 118 against a top 10 opponent but they're gonna they looked they look scary good I, as you and i were walking back to our hotels i think you made the point that it, it's possibly the best debut of a team in maybe college basketball history certainly modern history Um, And I don't know how you could argue. I mean, unless you want to name me the last time a team, a lower-ranked team, beat the second-ranked team by 34 points in the season opener. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it probably is on the short list, if not right at the top, of most impressive and, yeah, let's say it, surprising results that we've ever seen. Because forget what you think about – you know, Gary Parrish's predictions or Matt Norlander's predictions. Like, the line on the game was was Kentucky minus two. That's where it closed. So, like, a, a team that was favored to win a game lost by 34 points? I mean, that almost never happened in college basketball, period. And so there was a whole lot of weird stuff here. Before we move on, let me uh, ask you one thing about Kentucky. If you are John Calipari, how concerned would you be is this just you know john is always going to say exactly what he said which is hey you just it's a november loss um you know we'll, we'll i'll i don't even see it we'll just move on another game coming up, um but it wasn't just a november loss it was a humiliating loss possibly like a um a confidence breaking loss i mean you get humiliated like that on national tv um it reminded me a little bit if I'm even remembering this correctly, I want to say Kentucky did this to Louisville last year. Like, just just ripped them apart, you know, a big, big stage. And, and you know, the, it, it was something for the Louisville players who were already having to overcome all sorts of stuff with the loss of Rick Patina. It was, it was a deal for them to overcome. And, you know, it, it's one thing to do what Michigan State did on, on Tuesday night, which is, like, just lose to a good team in a competitive game. But 34 points... To to your to your national rival, that's a, a on you know on the biggest stage college basketball could provide in November, which is opening night on Tuesday, like that's a you know how concerned would you be if you were John? Uh,
1: a decent amount of concern, but I think we can have two different takeaways about the same game here. As I wrote in my column about Duke, like no, let's let's have fun overreacting a little bit because really that does feel like the most impressively dominant performance, shocking performance in a season opener by any team ever, considering all the circumstances that you laid out. So let's have fun with that. You know what? Let's let's uh, play a little fast and loose. With Kentucky, I want to be more reserved with it because I actually think that Tuesday night was more, way more about Duke than it was Kentucky. And I say that fully acknowledging that Kentucky has to play a big part in that as is. But I would have concern in this regard. Um, defensively, they were not nearly what I thought they would be. Like, that that was shocking to see Kentucky that inept defensively and Duke take advantage almost every time down the floor uh, of a mismatch that I might have, or frankly just where the holes were there when you've got... When you've got Hero trying to trying to go one on one with Barrett, like he's going to lose that 99 out of 100 times, he just cannot match up with him like that. Um, Kelton Johnson had a good game. I thought actually he played he played fairly well, but collectively, uh, like we have to see, and I think that he will, but we have to see P.J. Washington play to another. Play to another level. Like I think he's going to be the emotional center of this team, and he's going to have to step up and play better. Re Travis was solid, and Susheski had great things to say about him, and I think Re Travis is going to be a, a reliable player overall. But if you're Calipari or a player on that team, or hell, if you're a, a Kentucky fan, you've got a little bit of concern here because you you want to get your team right, but at the same time, you know there's going to be a little bit of overhanging doubt until you face another really good opponent, just to see how the team matches up overall. Um, so some concern there, but I still feel that Kentucky is going to be a top five team this season. I'm not necessarily moving off of that, but it was it was startling just to see them never really capture much of anything there. Um, and it was so stark that their number two ranked class of 2018 was that far behind Duke's number one class and it looks like, again, one game, let's have a little fun and overreact, it just looks like the gap between one and two and it's it's been those two programs for the past seven years, at least six it just feels like it's never been wider than what we have right now, Parrish
0: Well, remember, according to the recruiting rankings, Duke got three class of 2018 prospects better than any prospect Kentucky got. Like, if you were ranking them, all the Kentucky and Duke player, uh, freshmen, uh, Duke would go one, two, three: R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, in some order. With R.J. probably uh, at the top. You mentioned, and then we'll move on to to Michigan State, Kansas. Uh, Reed Travis was solid. He had twenty-two point seven rebounds. But anybody who's listened to this podcast all off season and a- as recently as this past Sunday night knows that uh, among the reasons I believed in Kentucky wasn't because of the freshmen, but because they brought back two two you know five star freshmen. Who are now sophomores and added Reed Travis. Well, Reed Travis was good, twenty-two and seven, but Quade Green, one point, one rebound in sixteen minutes, and P. Washington, eight points, two rebounds in seventeen minutes. They they neither was good. They were just guys. And for Kentucky to be great, those guys, those 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 non-freshmen cannot be just guys. They have to be good. And two two-thirds of the non-freshmen that that I thought they were going to count on, um, were not good. And that contributed as much as anything uh, to the 118-84 loss to Duke on opening night. Um, In the first game, uh, it looked like it was going to get out of hand, and I guess it technically did because it was a 17-point game in the first half and early in the second half. Uh, But Michigan State came back and made it a one-possession game in the the final minute. But either way, Kansas held on 92-87. Uh, Dietrich Lawson had huge numbers, but he wasn't that good. Like he didn't play well in the offensive end of the court. Uh, but he's, you know, he was five of eighteen from the field. But he was ten of twelve from the free throw line. He finishes with twenty points, fourteen rebounds, six assists. And like I wrote in my column, CBSSports.com, uh, this is exactly why we we made him a CBSSports.com uh, priest. He's in first team All American because he's just going to have crazy numbers for a real national title contender. Again, 20 points, 14 rebounds, six assists, and he didn't even play well. His brother, by the way, uh, KJ Lawson, got nine points, uh, I mean, got four points and six rebounds in 10 minutes. And so the Lawson brothers, who were not valued by the previous Memphis staff, end up with uh, 24 points, 20 rebounds, and s- seven assists in their Kansas debuts. And that's why the previous Memphis staff is, is the previous Memphis staff. The story I thought was Quentin Grimes and, and Devon Dotson, you know, they, they combined for uh, 37 points. They shot the ball incredible well from the three point line. Grimes was six of 10. Dotson was three of five and Bill Self, uh, you know, the the first compliments that came out of his mouth afterwards was, was about that freshman backcourt. You know, he, he, he decided to start the two five-star freshmen, put them beside LeGerald Vick, and then with uh, Diedrich Lawson and Yudoka Azabuki in, in the front court. And, um, again, Kansas didn't play well in the second half. That's how Michigan State got back into the game. But either way, they held a 17-point lead on a top-10 team uh, at one point, and and they start the season 1-0 uh, with a 92-87 win. Just your thoughts in general on that game.
1: Yeah, if you're Kansas – you are pretty satisfied, all told. Frustrated that, you know, Michigan State was able to clip into that lead late and then, hell, it was a three-point game with about 30 seconds to go. And uh, the Spartans made it look a little bit closer than it actually was. But so much to take away of 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 the positive end for Kansas because Grimes shows up immediately and just looks the part, man. Like Looks like the lottery pick that he's rumored to be Shot better than he's than his reputation is, is really known for. Like he's known to be a good scorer, but not like not like a dude that's going to be hitting 45% of his three pointers. Well, he did even better than that on Tuesday night. We'll see how he progresses in the in the games to come. I thought he played terrifically well. In fact, I only counted really one shot that he forced that he really shouldn't have taken. Maybe two. Uh, Dotson is a speedster. Um, and Self even said I'd rather have to uh, have the issue of dialing a guy back than, than trying to get him to push on the throttle um, but he's a lot of fun to watch and they played really really well now they're going to get overshadowed by Duke obviously Will Dotson and Grimes but for those two freshmen to step into the roles that they had to and to get those starting uh, starting nods I think was pretty big but I, I come back to the big men Azubuki played like I said on the previous podcast I think he is going to step up and have a very good year and be markedly improved pretty much all around and that was the case even with this foul shooting and even having said that he missed two down the stretch I asked self if he will take out as a bookie cuz you even mentioned to me as we were watching like it might be time to take him out Michigan State's making this interesting and self said I just I've long had a philosophy that you don't take out one of your best players at any point in the game I would quibble with him on that a little bit because if if Azebuki is going to be a 41% foul shooter again, like the fact of the matter is he will be a liability and you might need to change your philosophy on that end. But he said...
0: Well, 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 let, let me for one second. Like This is one where I, you and I, I think, both feel a little silly arguing with a Hall of Fame coach. And we're not arguing as much as having a different opinion, but there was a moment in that final minute where Michigan State cuts it to three. And if they could have... Like somehow got it uh, uh, away away from the ball foul on uh, by fouling Azabuki, like they could have sent him to the free throw line. And if he does what he usually does, which is miss, Michigan State comes back down to the other end with a chance to tie. So they Bill did take him out there, but he said he only did it because they were switching. Uh, they right. were switching everything. Yeah. It wasn't because of the free throw shooting, but regardless of the of the rationale, I think it was the smart thing to get him off the court for the reasons I just
1: explained. I agree, uh, but Azubuki just was a load, and with him and and Diedrich Lawson, they've got something really good going there. Um, spoke with the Michigan State coaches afterward, and they were frustrated in the loss. They, you know, Michigan State knew that Kansas had more talent, was the better overall team. Um, the turnovers killed them, and they just didn't have enough want to down low. Now they were also overmatched, but. With what Lawson was able to do in really what was a minus B- B-level kind of game for him, I'm telling you, like, Parrish, triple-doubles are not a common thing in college basketball, and part of that's the nature of a 40-minute game versus a 48-minute game. I think Diedrich Lawson's going to have two, three, or four triple-doubles this year. I mean, if he, he, he got into the neighborhood of that tonight, and he was not even exceptional, uh, really good immediate showings for Kansas— and until Duke did what it did, I thought that even though Michigan State made it close, I thought, you know what, they, they have clearly showed enough in a lot of different areas here to validate that preseason number one ranking. And then Duke went Duke.
0: Yeah, and then Duke went Duke. I mean, I, I sort of wrote this in the column. Like, if you were somebody who believed Kansas should be number one, Kansas didn't do anything to to, to make you think otherwise or to embarrass you. Uh, Duke Duke might have, but but Kansas didn't. And you're exactly right about Diedrich. Um, We bumped into some Kansas folks last night at – or whenever it was, Monday night at St. Elmo. And, you know, it's it's people I know from from the program. And I was talking to one individual, and, and, you know, we were discussing Diedrich. And the first thing out of his mouth was he's such a good passer. And Bill brought that up again in the press conference tonight. Like he's a really good passer. That's where the six assists come from. He's really – like – I noticed this and I might have mentioned it on the last podcast when I went back and watched some Kansas stuff from the exhibitions that Diedrich and and, and Doke were really good playing with each other. a lot of the big, big stuff. Uh, Diedrich would 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 get him shot opportunities. He's really good at feeding the ball to, to Doak, and, and I thought that was evident you know uh, against Michigan State. I, I said on the last podcast that I believe those guys are the best four or five combination. Uh, in the country, and against Michigan State, they had, they combined for thirty-seven points, seventeen rebounds, and seven assists. They they were awesome. How about this? They were awesome, and and not even really the story because of Grimes and and Dotson. That's a really good Kansas team, man. I mean, I know what the story when everybody wakes up Wednesday morning is going to be Duke, but don't don't let it get lost that Kansas played a top ten team. that that returned four of its top six scores from a team that won the Big Ten regular season title last season. That team made 12 three-pointers against Kansas, and Kansas still beat them 92-87. That's an impressive win.
1: It was impressive, and on that note with Michigan State, I think you saw a lot of why I do think that they... like One, Michigan State kind of gets a pass here because everyone's going to talk about Duke, and they're going to talk about how bad Duke-Kentucky made Kentucky look. Uh, So Michigan State... It just you know outside of that region it's just not going to be uh, much of a talking point but it's a college basketball podcast let's address the Spartans right now because they were obviously one of the four teams there and I thought that they had some good signs even in defeat I do think this is going to wind up being a very efficient and proficient offense for Tom Izzo this season and if if you've been waiting for Josh Langford to make a pop I thought he played r- pretty relatively well tonight. I think he had 18. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think he had 18. Um, You need Matt McQuaid to be a little bit better. Uh, Nick Ward was not his best self. Uh, Cassius Winston wasn't in his total groove. And obviously, a lot of this is what what Kansas was able to do. But even self-said, the one thing that Michigan State did do that it wanted to do was beat Kansas down the floor, particularly on offense. They thought that was so pivotal and they did get a lot of success in that in the second half. This was a case where Kansas built up a lot, uh, a lot of a cushion in the first half that they wound up needing. Um, so if you're a Michigan State fan, I think that you came out as probably as good as you possibly could given like if you watch that game start to finish, it did not feel like a game that was a five point margin. And shout out to Michigan State for the backdoor cover because if you had if you laid five and a half with Kansas you're not happy because Kansas should have covered the five and a half in that game. But if, Mich- if Michigan State c- came back, th- they kept their heads in it and it was, it was productive on that end. Now they get to try and get right with, uh, with a few cupcakes, so to speak. Um, but I, I'm, not, I'm not selling on Michigan State. I still think that will be the best team in that conference.
0: You ready to go to sleep?
1: GP, I'm ready to go to sleep, uh, and then we will podcast again on uh, what I will believe will be Friday and catch up with all the other doings there, but, uh, but this, was, this was necessary. What we saw unfold in, in Banker's Life Fieldhouse was, was calling for an immediate podcast, and, uh, and so I'm glad we could get this done, even at this hour. It's now 3.18 in the morning.
0: It was a fun few days in Indianapolis. We met a, a you know a lot of people who listen or, or read who were nice enough to come over and, and introduce themselves at, at various places. So uh, uh, we appreciate you guys. Shouts to you. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. rated favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. Um, If you haven't subscribed yet, knock that out. If you have, we appreciate it. And like I said, or like Norlander said, and I'll repeat, because I tend to repeat stuff sometimes, we will talk to you again on Friday. Till then, (laughs) take care.